Welcome to the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. I'm Will Item. I'm Armand Alawalia. And I'm Brittany Ross. And we have made it to episode number 10. Woo! We did it. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. So hopefully we have many more of these to come. Uh, But because it is the 10th episode, one thing that I'm hoping that we do every 10 episodes or so is we take a break for ourselves. We've got a great interview coming up with uh, Lauren Klopmeyer and Allison Mintz from KSE. We're definitely going to talk about the strategy stuff, but every 10th episode, let's just do a nice little mental health break. Let's not talk about the the business of sports. Let's just talk about how you guys are doing. Uh, it's the end of Women's History Month. I know we've uh, discussed it in all of our interviews this month. It's also been a year, uh, over a year since the pandemic ended. So we have all pretty much been working at home for over a year. So mental check, mental health check. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, just, you know, hang, <laughs> hang it in there, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, as good as we can be, I mean, adapting, right? I mean, I don't know. You've you've been at home the whole time, right, Armand? I have, yeah. We've been we've been extra safe, and you know, we had a chance to go up to Canada during the summer, but we had to quarantine for two weeks, so we stayed for six just to make it worth it. Yeah, it's been it's been not too bad. I mean, it's definitely different, but I think things are starting to open up here, uh, and I think vaccinations are on the rise. So hopefully, that'll get stuff back to normal. I mean, not to not to talk too much about sports, but Roger Goodell said that he expects to have full stadiums, which to me is only five months away, seems like things are trending to normal, right? I want to go back out for brunch. I want to go do those things again, right? With friends and family. So I don't know. Brittany, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, I am I am hanging in there. I think I am just not a good work from home person. And I have I appreciate people now who have worked from home or remotely for most of their career because it just really takes a sense of discipline. It also just how you manage burnout is really tough um, because when you're not leaving home and it becomes your work, there's not a lot of mental separation of, you know, when you're driving to the office, you get in your car, you listen to your music, you have a little bit of scenery on the outside and you get kind of this, this break and this separation. And when you're at home, you're like, and I know we're all guilty of it, but you're like, you know, I guess I don't really need to watch this show. I'll just like work on this for another hour that turns into two hours. Then it's like one o'clock in the morning. You're like, okay, here we go. We're going to go to bed and do it all over again the next day. It's like Groundhog Day. And I think that that's to me been one of the biggest challenges that I continue to learn throughout this experience is how do you kind of create that separation of, of work and home and taking that break and not having that burnout. Um, you know, I bought a Peloton to try to at least get my body going. Very nice. um, so I think, you know, I'm just, you know, I echo Armand and just, I'm so excited. Hopefully that things will start to, you know, here in LA, things are starting to open up a lot more, which is great. Um, and also I just really miss my coworkers and my colleagues. I miss traveling to different cities to have meetings and, and see my friends like you guys in different cities and go to different games and, and missing like the energy of work and colleagues. I always say that 
the tough part about right now for us working in sports is that we don't get to do the fun parts of our job anymore. We don't get to, <laughs> we don't get to have the after work happy hours yeah. or the training camps or, you know, at least last year, obviously some people came to games, some people didn't. Um, we don't get to do the fun behind the scenes stuff that comes with this industry and, and what comes to with this job. Um, so it's kind of a bummer because you're just like, man, I miss all of those things that make this job so special in so many ways. You know, like I said, your coworkers, the, uh, the different events, the travel, um, you know, if we're not paid like tech people and I don't think I'm alone in saying that. So, you know, it's really for the love of what we do and just the, the love of our job and the industry and the passion behind um, just how we do things. And so um, not having that element has been, it's been so sad, but I'm optimistic that now we're hopefully going to start getting a lot of that back. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, on the Myers-Briggs test, you're uh, an E or uh, an I? I'm E, safe to say? I don't remember, but... Probably extrovert, extrovert, introvert, RMI. Oh, yes. Right? I mean, the Myers-Briggs, I, I constantly get told that it's, it's, it's hogwash. It's not based in science. But yeah, I'm probably more of an extrovert. Okay. Yeah. Well, I score 18 to zero every time I take the test on all the E versus I. So extrovert. Wow. For sure. Yeah. Oh my uh, God. You must be struggling. So, How's it been? So for you? it has been rough. Uh, that's probably been the hardest thing is, you know, I certainly do appreciate being able to do networking calls with other peers, uh, but really that's just more to, to keep going, to keep surviving is just having that human interaction. Uh, the difficult thing for me from a work standpoint is I jumped over to strategy probably five months before the pandemic started. And that's when it shifted to just me on a two-person team, myself being one of those two. And so I'm missing out on all the larger scale department meetings. So even from a Zoom perspective, I'm not on a call with seven people on a weekly basis. I'm usually on a call with one other person about every other week doing check-ins. And then the other thing that's both from a personal standpoint and a work standpoint is at least in partnerships, being able to hear conversations around you is really beneficial. You know, a lot of the time, all of our conversations about work are isolated and one-to-one -one conversations. So whether you're talking about a flaw in a contract or a best practice that you really enjoyed, you're really talking about it with one person. Whereas when we were in the office, someone might have said something and even say, say it's like a colleague talking to or her boss and she's doing something maybe not the right way. Well, the great thing was like the other 10 people could hear it in that room and then they would learn at the same time of, oh, okay, we should not do that. Whereas here, everyone's just operating on their own individual wavelengths. And I miss that uh, cohesive group that we would have on a hourly basis. So I, I am certainly ready to come back. In a perfect scenario for you guys, I don't know if you've been given the option or if any uh, if your bosses mentioned different work scenarios for you. If you could go back, what kind of work scenario would you want? Do you want three days on, two days off, one day off, three four days on? What would be the ideal scenario for you now that you've had a year of living and working from home? Yeah, I think that 
we're not for a little while that will go full five days again. I feel like, you know, it's going to be, this is not on the record as official, but I just feel like there's people who will have different comfort levels of, you know, people who have been vaccinated versus not, you know, is it going to be a requirement? There's also been kind of this, especially for moms and, and parents that, staying at home has, has been tough, but also like it helps them at times to, to be able to, to have that work from home environment. So I think you're going to start seeing a lot more shifting of just kind of just the workplace in general of, you know, whether it's moms and parents working from home and dads working from home on certain days a week, um, which is actually really nice, you know, especially if you know, like your kids have a, an event that you need to be home early to get that, pick them up. And now, hey, maybe you just can work from home that day instead of, you know, having to, to, to time out your day to drive back from your commute. So I think that we'll probably see like a three, two situation. I don't know if that's even overshooting it, but I can't wait to, to go back into the office more and um, kind of see where, where it takes you. But my car mileage has been helped a lot. Dude. Right. So I'm happy for my lease agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yes. my, my, my two mile commute has also uh, been removed. So I'm sure our commutes are exactly the same. Your LA one and my OKC one. So I certainly can relate to you. Uh, Armand, what are you looking for ideally now that you've had the opportunity to work from home for a year? Yeah, I, I would say that I'm I'm fairly extroverted, um, and you know, working from home wasn't something I was super pumped about. I have really enjoyed it in the sense that I've learned to schedule my day to where I can get up, I can take Winston out for a walk, which kind of balances my day almost into a as a 15 minute walk I can take in the morning one at lunch and then one in the afternoon to kind of break it up. And what it's done is it's actually provided me a lot of clarity in terms of I can listen to a podcast, I can think outside, I can I can walk and, you know, and there've been like lots of studies that have shown that, you know, being closer to nature helps you kind of reflect and give you more opportunities to think about different things. So on that front, that's been really good. I think fully, I, th I, I think the Chiefs will get back to full time as quickly as can safely be as possible. I think that's going to be the norm and there is an intent to get back to that when things get back to normal. But for me, I, I think it would be nice to have just flexibility. I don't know if I want to do four days on one day off or the two, three or three, two split. I think I would probably want to go back full time just to kind of get back into that routine. I mean, I think you mentioned this in, 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 in a way that like you kind of thrive will from being in the office, just like I do in terms of hearing those conversations, you know, getting the energy from other people, I think is something I've been missing. Um, but I also think that, you know, having the flexibility to say, hey, Thursday afternoon, I've got to do something in the evening, just like Brittany mentioned, I'm just going to work from home for the, for the afternoon and, you know, still get all my stuff done. So I think it's, it's going to be a lot of employers kind of trusting that. I do want to get back to the hustle and bustle of work, but that is not to say I would not enjoy a day off in the middle of the week. You know, Monday, Tuesday in the office, Wednesday, work from home, Thursday, Friday, because I think we can all probably remember what it was like a year ago when we all started working from home. We thought, well, this is pretty nice. So I would like the hybrid as well, too. I, I think, too, like I actually miss like getting ready and going somewhere. <laughs> 
As, this is a this is a button up shirt, and it's one of the few times I've worn a button up. Shirt. It's not even like a dress shirt; it's just a button. Still fancy. Shirt. It's not a t shirt. It's not a pullover to cover yeah. the fact that I'm wearing a t shirt underneath. This is me feeling. Oh my goodness, I am fancy right now. I didn't do my hair, obviously, but I at least put on a button down shirt, and that was a big thrill for me. I miss wearing my ties and my dress shirts. I miss my shoes. <laughs> I miss like my uh, my sneakers and my mm-hmm. heels and you know at our office we have like a, a more casual dress policy but still like my my Jordans are just so sad and sleepy <laughs> in the closet and, and I um, you know I can't wait to to kind of go back. Before we get onto the interview, then let's let's end on a high note. The pandemic one year in. What was one big highlight of the pandemic? So one highlight of the pandemic for me was having a chance to be there when my sister had her first kid for the first time. And so being there with my nephew was awesome, even though we only got to spend a couple of weeks with him. Um, well worth it. Well worth the quarantine. Something I'm, I'm, I'm glad I didn't miss. I think something that was really different and it forced us to do it more, but I'm glad it did, was just before we all got sick of Zoom calls, but really connecting with a lot of people over Zoom that I hadn't in a long time. Like friends in New York, we were setting up Zoom happy hours together and we hadn't seen each other in a while in person because of just work and travel. So it honestly brought a lot of my group of friends and family together more that and more often than we really had in a long time because we could, because Zoom, you know, obviously you can be there and kind of be in person in a way. So I was really appreciative to like have these fun memories of us doing like little trivia and Zoom happy hour calls and, um, you know, doing, you know, just fun, silly things that, you know, a year ago would be like, what are you doing on a Friday night? But now it was, it was so normal in the beginning. So I think reestablishing and reengaging with, with friends across the country and family too, was actually pretty special. I don't take that for granted. Well, and not just even family, but also new connections I found have been much better when getting to zoom and making a face-to-face, uh, conversation as opposed I was I was talking to someone who's looking into grad school programs and he was asking me about the pros and cons of grad school one of the things I mentioned was you know you'll be able to network as a student people are always willing to talk to a student but I said I think networking will be even better for you because instead of just talking on the phone with someone who thinks you're a stranger, you can invite them onto a Zoom call and they'll be comfortable doing it because they've been doing it for a year and it won't be this weird thing to ask. And being able to, you know, lock eyes, even if it is across the computer, you know, you'll still be able to do that. And I don't know, I just feel like I've made better connections networking in this past year and they've largely been from Zoom calls or Teams or whatever than I had in the previous three years working at the Thunder when I was just doing random phone calls with people. So it's a, it's a little small thing, but I've certainly felt uh, more connected to people being able to actually look at them. I think the, the days of conference, traditional conference calls are gone. I think that, I think <laughs> yeah. that's over now. I we think, have to look at each other. We're going to have to look yeah. at each other. And it's mean, um, not a bad thing. No, no. So never I never turned the video on camera. <laughs> never. <Yeah. laughs> Now we will. 
All right. Well, glad to hear we are all still uh, surviving. Only uh, hopefully a few more months, weeks maybe left until a little bit more semblance of normalcy comes. So get your vaccines. uh, Stay safe. It's important. We all need to do our part. With that, let's get into our interview with KSE's Lauren Klopmeyer and Alyssa Mintz. All right, and joining us on the pod, we've got a two-for-one this week from Kroenke Sports and Entertainment, the Director of Strategic Business Development, Lauren Klopmeyer, and the Partnership Insights Manager, Alyssa Mintz. Ladies, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. So we're probably going to go a little long in this beginning part, but it's important to hear where both of you came from and how you got to where you are at KSC. So we'll start the interviews the same way we always do. Brief background, where you started, how you got to where you are now. Alyssa, go ahead. I started out in Oregon. Go Ducks and shout out go to Ducks. fellow Oregon over there. Um, so I, I went to Oregon, graduated in 2017. I was a marketing intern in the athletics department for a few years. I did marketing and then IMG my senior year. So I got experience both there, uh, both sides, marketing and sponsorship, and then made my way out to Denver after college. I started interning at KSC right out of college, and that kind of transformed into a full-time coordinator role. I kind of ended up making that into a new role all on its own, into a CRM manager, CRM and inventory manager, kind of a mouthful. And then we transitioned that once we realized that that was the beginning of strategy unofficially, we transferred that to partnership insights manager, which is my current role at KSC as part of the strategy team. And Lauren, how about you? I went to DePaul uh, in Chicago. And after school there, Went out to L.A. to work in the entertainment world on the talent agency side, specializing more in in athletes and endorsements, and then went to New York, got exposed to our brand side of the business when we acquired IMG, and then went back to L.A., did a combination of both talent marketing and brand representation in the entertainment space uh, before trying to get out of L.A., no offense to Brittany, and coming to Denver, where I started with KSE three years ago. I originally started as an account manager, so definitely got a good introduction to the sponsorship space with that role. And then a year and a half ago about joined Alyssa in the newfangled strategy group to start to help our sales team and help our activation team bring a different storyline to how we were selling. So every day we're trying to figure it out as we go with the multi-property group like we are. There's a lot of strategy that can be involved. So Alyssa and I get to tackle that every day. Great. And I know Brittany already probably knows the ins and outs of how things operate in Denver, as she is also part of the KSE family. But for our listeners and also for myself, I know this is going to be getting into the weeds. There's so many different branches to this organization. Can you give a little bit of a background of where you sit within KSC, what departments you're interacting with, a type of hierarchy? Lauren? How would you best explain how your behemoth works? So KSC definitely uh, represents like the business operations side here in Denver for the Nuggets and the Avalanche and the Mammoth and the Rapids. On our side for sponsorship, we sell across all teams that we've listed and we collaborate with the ticket sales departments of each individual team, as well as the marketing departments of each individual team. But sponsorship is definitely 
amongst a few other departments centrally located and cover all of them. I'm just so lucky to have them both on the show. It's like having your family on on with you. So no, I, I get a chance to to work with them on on certain things, but also just learn and share best practices. That's all, that's kind of the fun part of being part of this conglomerate of KSEs. One of the most interesting things that we got a chance to collaborate on this year was our first multi-property deal together, which was really exciting, really fun. A lot more work on their end, so they're going to definitely dive into a lot of that. We actually, on our last podcast, we're talking about naming rights and everything kind of going crazy in the market right now, but I feel like you guys have an incredible story and journey of, of what you guys just did with Ball Arena. So would love for you guys to share with us from beginning to end, if you could, and how you were involved in that. Yeah, we'd love to say it was an extremely easy process, took no time at all, um, but no great deals are ever that easy. So what's great with the partner like Ball is they were an existing partner to begin with. So to be able to then take that partnership and transition that to being a naming rights partnership was a huge win across the board. We originally came to them a few years ago and they had told us about this new innovative aluminum cup they were working on at the time. Obviously they saw an arena and a stadium being a perfect place to launch such a cup. Alyssa has a personal tie to anything sustainability focused. So she was equally as excited to work on a prospect that had anything to do with recycling and sustainability as as many are. And as many of us are constantly looking for ways to integrate that just for the betterment of our our buildings and, and society and the world as a whole. But to be able to have a partner that was in our backyard located just outside of Denver, it kind of came together serendipitously. When, when they first came to us, we focused just on the cup integration. That was important to them. And so we decided to just keep it simple. Let's roll that out. Let's show them that our fans really like it. They can kind of use our fans as test cases, which they took advantage of. They did some interviews with fans, just kind of person on the street interviews to find out feedback, because this is the first time people were really holding these cups and understanding an aluminum cup product. Um, and then as we saw some success with that rollout, we were able to transition the conversation to looking at naming rights. So we started to get to work on how can we pitch them? How can we approach this? We were able to have some pretty open conversations with the executives over at Ballcorp. And there was a few pieces of this whole pitch process um, that caused us to have to truly go back to the drawing table on some of our approaches and, and have to strategize a whole new way to kind of reach um, what Ball's objectives were. So that I think made it especially fun based off other pitches where some of it's pretty straightforward. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we can do that for you. And this one caused us to kind of really think about it and, and turn our, our position a few different times. And one of those things was how they were a local company, and but they also had a, a very serious global footprint. And so we also wanted to be able to help them utilize that as well. And so if we were to think just 10 feet in front of us, which is not what strategy typically does, we could have easily said, well, we're just Denver and here are some teams. And yeah, the NBA is a very robust global platform. Like NHL also can offer that. It was also like, what else can we be doing that really emphasizes our global footprint that we could provide this, this global partner? And then that's where we started to think big picture about bringing in the Rams in LA and bringing in Arsenal in London and how we could potentially all work together. And it was a really exciting, it was like nervous and exciting at the beginning because we're like, is this even 
is this even possible? And even still, it's it seems almost too big to be, how is that possible kind of thing? But we were able to, like all of our executives were, be, were able to get together and, and figure out kind of the best way to move forward and, and utilize all properties in a way that was mutually beneficial to all involved. And I think not only did it impress Ball that we were able to expand directly out of Denver, um, but stay in the family, because um, then it just makes it also easier for them. This is this was a really big first kind of foray for Ball into a public facing sponsorship with their first public facing product. And the fact that we could kind of help usher them in, keeping it all in the family and not having to cause them to go run out and do a thousand different sponsorships one-offs, it was nice to be able to provide it as a full kind of cohesive package. So how do you bring all of those different locations together to tell one cohesive story? Because I think it's great that you're able to have both the LA market, across the pond market, Denver as well to promote. What data points or what are you using to tell the story of here's the value of it over in Europe? Here's the value in LA. What sources are you using to put together that pitch deck to explain, here's why you should expand this beyond just the home market of Denver? So I think the biggest message that we've all been able to come together on, all teams and the client, is just sustainability and really educating people on the platform of sustainability and how we can all come together to make a change. I think something that we've all learned a lot about is just the value of understanding what our impact is and not only from an individual level but even sports as a whole i think sports makes an enormous impact on waste and recycling and just you know they touch so many people and fans and kids and educational opportunities so why not leverage a huge platform like sports that brings people together for such an important message i think that really resonates well with our fans uh, globally i think that message that resonates well with sports fans globally and i think it's a really cool opportunity to use a global platform like the Cronky entities to really amplify that messaging Exactly. I think this, the sustainability theme spans globally. And I think even if you look at our markets, Denver and LA, if, if anyone were to ask anybody in the US, like, where do you think really people care about sustainability? I think LA and Denver are immediate top of mind. But then on top of it, with London, even understanding, getting to understand like what arsenals, they already were doing a lot on the sustainability platform on their own. And so it was more for them, even just an expansion. For us, it was more of this is kind of going to be our marquee platform now. And here's all these changes we can make, and which is an exciting story in and of itself. We, there's a lot of buildings that have a ton of great progressive plans on sustainability, a lot of buildings that have no plans yet. And that's kind of the state of sustainability for all of us right now, of people still trying to figure out where they fit in. So I think that this was kind of an interesting one. We had SoFi Stadium, which brand new and has all like those resources to be able to do all of those sustainability um, practices and Arsenal's already kind of in the middle of it. And then here we were trying to improve um, with Ball as a partner. So it sounds like when you're talking about the value of this partnership, you didn't necessarily lead with, oh, your name recognition, it's $1.5 million worth of QI media value on broadcast, but you really led with the story of 
sustainability measures and trying to hit certain objectives year to year that maybe even five years from now you say, hey, this is how much we were able to recycle. And here's the affinity level that our fans have for ball doing something that is sustainable and environmentally friendly. It sounds like that's what kind of led these discussions more than anything. Definitely. And to be fair, that to me really was driven from ball. Ball was excited about having their name on the arena. I mean, from a pool, that's nice to see. But what they really were very, very firm about from the beginning was this is about aluminum. We want aluminum in hands. We want people to know what aluminum is and how that it's like infinitely recyclable, the power of aluminum in the sustainability space. To them, it seemed that their uh, measure of success was people know, learning that education piece and also implementing it in their own lives. So I don't think QI media value about anyone knowing the name ball is not nearly as important to them as it is about aluminum. Or aluminum, if you're the Arsenal team. Yes, which is a whole yeah. other conversation about how to spell it and how to say it and what that VO was and the caption was. But I just want to add, because I think what's important to, to really tie all that together is that where well, while Ball's biggest initiative was we need to educate, we our biggest mission was how can we amplify all of your messaging? How can we really, really amplify that? And how can we do it globally? How can we be impactful? And I think too, what has been, what is, when you kind of go back to the strategy perspective of things and what this partnership has done, and also just, again, our role in strategy in general is the value of building out a strong platform. Like now having a strong sustainability platform allows you to have those conversations, not only building the platform around such a great partner like Ball, but now having the ability to build out the platform for other partners who are interested in the category in the space to come in and to also share in that messaging. And I think that's what is so important about strategy and, and what this group does is that being able to build something out like this, even if it starts with one partner for example, like a ball, but being able to then say, okay, how do we take this now and build this into a larger platform that allows other partners to come in and to share into the story? I think what was exciting about this is having the ability to build something from nothing into now this huge sustainability platform that allows more partners to kind of come into the space. Exactly. It definitely has launched that the sustainability category into more of a hot category for us now because we have this major champion in the space already that's causing us and, and for good reason, helping us to realize some different um, areas we can improve on. I know it's been affected in the energy category. We've discussed it also with our pouring rights partner and with um, like with, between Pepsi and between Gatorade and, and other partners are coming to us with trying to figure out some collaboration as well, which is a very natural tie-in to, to Ball's products as well. So, Well, I think it's a great partnership and it's certainly going to help lead the way for more sustainability. So congrats on that. Really great. The other thing I wanted to ask about is, as you mentioned, with Ball, there are so many different properties that can benefit with this partnership. Here in Oklahoma City, we have the Thunder. When I'm trying to tell the story about the Thunder, I have one set of fan profiles that I uh, need to look into and discuss and tell a story on. 
you said you've got the Mammoth, you've got the Nuggets, you've got the Rams, you have the Avalanche, there's Arsenal. There's so much data that's probably coming in about your fan bases. So I imagine there's just a lot of input that's coming in that you've got to figure out what's important and what story can we tell from it. What is that like when it comes from managing all of that data? That's the fun part. We get access and exposure to so many different leagues and fan bases that we get to have a really interesting view on how we need to approach different strategies for different categories, different partners, how we need to look at different types of fans, how we segment. I think there's always going to be an overwhelming amount of data. And we have an incredible business intelligence department that has really, really grown in the last five years or so to to really take a lot of that warehousing and spit it out into visual data for us to take in. Um, I, I think overall, there's an endless amount. The question is, like you said, where do we start? I think a lot of it, at least for sponsorship, is going to start internally with, okay, what do our partners need? What are they looking for? What information is going to benefit them the most? We typically start there, and then that could always branch out to, okay, that could go to surveys or email marketing or interviewing fans. Uh, we can use third-party vendors to get information. Um, there's, there's just an endless amount. And I think at the end of the day, it becomes just an enormous portfolio of data for us to pick and choose depending on the narrative that we feel is best to build for that individual partner or surrounding a certain team. Uh, it just really depends on what what narrative we're going for to, to how we want to organize the data. Something that's also so interesting and would love like kind of how you guys, especially being multi-property and with kind of your sales team and, and, and how they approach brands and so forth. When a salesperson comes to you with a brand, how you guys approach it from the pitch standpoint of all property to singular, how does that conversation usually go with, with you and your, and your sales team? Or how does that process usually happen and, and how you want to kind of go to the pitch with having so many of these different awesome opportunities to be available? Some of our prospects come to us with, teams in mind. They already know they want, they're, they're an ass fan, diehard ass fan. Their CEO is, they definitely want to be involved with the abs. Some of them are more of an open book, in which case we like to be able to present all options across the board. We like to start wide and then narrow it down as we understand more and more about what the partner wants, especially too with um, how diverse our different properties are. For the same price point, they can get a variety of different packages across all of our teams. So if they want to come in at a, at a, lower level partnership on the Nuggets, that in theory could translate to a huge partnership in the lacrosse league. So there's a lot of different ways to approach it. But what we do try to do is show them everything that makes sense for their brand. So that still isn't the whole catalog, obviously. There's a little bit of thought and strategy that goes into what we're showing initially, but we do want them to get a taste of all the properties we have to offer. And we love our multi-property partners, the ones that can come in and truly have, they're able to change their campaigns based off which team it is. They're able to change which product is the hero brand for each team. So those are the real ideals to be able to have the full portfolio, kind of pull the levers where we need that makes the most sense for not only what we're running uh, for our games, what segment of the season we're in, but also to line up with what they're doing in market as well. 
Yeah, once we hear about the partner's objectives and, you know, whether they come in as a fan or they or maybe they just don't know anything about sports. And that happens more often than we're used to. Right. Because um, we're, we're surrounded by sports day in and day out. And then it's more of a, well, let's take you to a game. Let's go to a Rapids game. Let's go to an avalanche game. You know, let's get a feel for the different crowds or the different environments. How does in-game versus halftime work? How does something on the scoreboard relate back to something on social? Or how can we even show them something on social and TV and radio? And we can really try to leverage our portfolio and the benefits that we provide partners, maybe case studies, something that's similar to their objectives, just previous success stories that we can share. Uh, I think it's an endless rabbit hole of how we can really convince a partner that to say, hey, we hear you. Here's what we would recommend. You you should do a Rapids and a Nuggets package, like or you should do an Avalanche and a Mammoth package. Let's do all four. Um, I, I think that then that's the most fun. Um, and what's cool about those multi-team partnerships is there can be completely different messaging with every team and there can be completely different activations depending on the different fan bases. And I think, again, that's kind of what makes us the one-stop shop in sponsorship and media sales at KSC is that we can really provide them anything they want. We just need to mutually educate ourselves on goals to really get to the end goal there. Obviously working across multi-property and we've asked a couple of people this, but you know, you've got some new assets from the NBA, from the NHL, obviously across the different leagues. Like, is there anything you've seen be super successful or just some learnings from COVID that you guys are looking to even take out of COVID into a non-COVID world if possible? Yeah. And the, the COVID world has caused us to really evaluate our inventory from a whole new perspective. Um, we, not that we didn't put more of a priority on our TV visible signage, but obviously now when that is everything, it's also caused us to try to seek out more TV visible signage where we potentially might've had blank spaces before. Where can we put logos in an effective way? Uh, where can we include messaging in a way that it'll get picked up on broadcast? And it's caused us to really have to look at the arena map and truly figure out those opportunities. Um, we recently had that with the on the NHL side when they decided to go away with the entire penalty box um, or the player bench and penalty box back walls for COVID concerns. And then we were losing some some major branding and someone had just had a screenshot from the broadcast. And when they looked into the penalty box, there was a wall that's just directly at the player's feet, but a great pickup. And we're like, can we put a sign there? And sure enough, they said, sure. And so now that's one of our main signage pieces is random wall that normally would have never gotten picked up. So the way to think in, innovatively, I guess, on our TV visible signage, um, what we have found is that TV visible signage is amazing, but only for those partners who really care about logos, which isn't all of our partners as we know. Um, so having to get creative with our digital campaigns, um, having like transit, we've been able to transition a lot of our partners that typically do not have digital spends or major digital spends to having digital campaigns and game day assets and consistent assets on those platforms. And I think that that can only bode well for proving success with those campaigns in COVID times, whether it was in the off season hiatus um, or in this current return to play scenario that we'll be able to then translate them into being digital partners going forward with our renewals and, and looking at deals for next year. Another thing 
has been um, looking at IP rights and usage in market, which has caused us to really kind of revamp our IP rights process as a whole and who gets them and what those designations are and how are they using them and being a little bit more locked up in terms of let's make sure we have plans for each of these and that we're using them effectively to be mutually beneficial to both. Are we giving IP rights to people who never use them? Like we're really trying to understand how we're approaching that going forward. Um, because again, typically that's a great ad for some of our major clients where it makes sense. But now when, when we had such limited fan engagement in arena and we were relying heavily on in market, you think about our, our beer partners and any other partner that's been doing really well uh, in COVID time that it's, there's a whole different value that's on IP rights now when we can't be reaching those fans day in and day out in the arena. Have you been doing a, have you done an external study on the effectiveness of the marketing and logo rights recently? We have not. Care to well, share? I mean, yeah, I was just. I mean, uh, sponsorship research international has been really good for us the last handful of years. We do it about every other year or so, just checking across. I think like sixteen different metrics on awareness, consideration to others. So they, those are interesting. Is it analyzing your IP rights usage and like actual effectiveness? What they do is they take two different sets of Thunder fans and they expose them to three images. In one group, they have a, a box of Bud Lights, something for McDonald's, a coupon, and First Bank, our financial partner. And then the other set of Thunder fans, it's the same marketing materials, but with our Thunder logo on it. And then they'll just ask them general questions of when you look at this item, is this something you would consider buying on a scale of one to 10? Uh, do you think this is something that is cool? Uh, is this something you know um, that you would recommend to a friend? Things like that. And then they just measure the lift across it. And across all of the metrics are marks and logos with Thunder fans increase the consideration, the awareness, the perception of those brands. And so that just gives us comfort knowing that it is a good business decision to go for marketing and logo rights and to use those marketing and logo rights in their own marketing materials. I think it's an interesting point to talk about return to play and how we've in the past year looked at our different metrics and these new assets and different objectives of partners because the survey data and the any data that our partners are looking for has completely shifted. Maybe not 100%, but I think a lot of different values have shifted just in the past year. And so having access to those surveys and really making the changes we need to make or identifying the different data that we now need to start seeking out or utilizing a little bit better understanding what our partner's new needs are has been a constant shift. I mean, we all know it was different last April than it was last fall than it was this winter. I mean, it's just constantly shifting. And I think that that's been a huge constant learning moment for us. Well, another question we always love to ask is that asset that you just love so much, whether you've seen great engagement numbers or high impressions, whether it be digital, physical, um, it could be events and entertainment. What's something that you're always banging the drum on for either the sales or activation team of put this in the pitch, try to get a partner to do this because it will give them a good return on investment or a return on objectives? I have a twofold answer. 
I would say one is anything community. I think community is so impactful, especially in this market. And it resonates so strongly with fans and just members of the community. I think putting dollars behind any program, Cronky Sports Charities does a phenomenal job of really touching so many different people and organizations. And I think that that's something that I'm always in the background, probably telling a sales director, hey, this is available. This program would be great. Like you should sell this. And I think that that's something that we really, really tried to push. And that's something I'm always going to push because the, the, those are to me, the most valuable dollars we always say, and I know it's cheesy, but sports brings people together and it does. And that's, what's cool about community and why not put dollars behind something super cool, like giving back to kids or people in need, or just really making a program stronger. So my first answer is anything community. And then my second answer, which is also kind of community now that I'm thinking about it is small business spotlight. That's probably my pet project of I have been trying for the past two years to get somebody on our small business spotlight program that doesn't exist yet that I would just love to really highlight some small businesses in Denver that, you know, especially in modern times, like everybody really needs some help. And I think, again, why not put dollars behind such a good cause like that to really amplify those businesses and, you know, it's better for the community as a whole. So those are my two answers. Lauren, is there anything that you really like to go after? Previous to our recent return to play, I would say digital. I think we're still trying to figure out digital with a lot of our partners. Um, I just think sometimes it can be overwhelming. And for some of our sales team to truly be able to understand it enough to sell it in effectively. But I do think that because of our limited asset availability based off of not having an arena, I think it's really caused a lot of people to learn a lot and learn quickly about digital and our assets. And right now we're we're at a pretty good sell rate in terms of getting our assets all have a partner on them. So anything digital, I'm constantly trying to push or, or trying to come up with original campaigns that make sense for clients. I think sometimes they think that they're just going to get their logo slapped onto anything that we're doing already, which works for some partners and has worked in some of these when we're having to move quickly to figure out alternative assets for some partners in a COVID pandemic time. But um, typically, I think to be able to really come up with some creative content that makes more sense for the partner um, and take that time to come up with it is really effective. So I am very lucky to have these two wonderful ladies, a part of, of a family of us under KSE and be able to work with them as often as I get to. I can't wait to work with them more and for more things that we will continue to do together. And I think it's so powerful and especially with it being Women's History Month um, and being females in sports, I would love to kind of ask you both individually, whether it's a piece of advice or just, you know, what being a female in sports means to you. And, and again, as I mentioned, maybe some advice for those who are looking to, to step into this industry. I would say my key piece of advice is to embrace being a woman in a male-dominated industry and be able to bring a completely different narrative and approach to these pitches, whether it's in sponsorship or with a partner and, and utilizing and leaning into some of those skill sets and traits that you might have that your male counterparts might not have. I think sometimes it's made to be divisive and you have to be completely different and you have to really like fit in with the boys world. But I think a lot of that comes from if you just 
own your own truth and own your own self and you bring that perspective that's even more valuable than trying to fit in with the male-dominated industry. So I think I would just have to really echo a big part of that, that confidence and really owning your voice is so important because I started at KSC when I was 22 and I was super nervous that people weren't going to take me seriously like a kid out of college and I didn't really know what I was doing but I think I was empowered by a lot of people around me including you know my current bosses today I think a lot of people didn't look at age and I really really appreciated that as my introduction to sports especially as a woman because you always hear different different stories and and stereotypes. And I think that I was lucky to be in a really great environment. There were a lot of women to look up to. And one of the biggest things I was always told was, we appreciate your opinion. Speak up. We want to hear what you have to say. And I always try to tell interns that too, or, you know, when I'm talking to Oregon classes, I, I think it's just so important because it's it's something that got me really more, it got me more comfortable and confident a lot quicker. And I think that that was super important. That is all really great advice. And we are lucky to have all of you ladies on the pod today. So thank you so much for being an inspiration. And thank you for joining the pod, Lauren Klopmeyer and Alyssa Mintz. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us.